Hi, my name is Nancy Miller, and I'm here with My Creative Life, the podcast. And today I have a very special guest that I'm really excited to have. His name is Stephen Frank. I um, got to know him from working at Scuba Diving Magazine um, many, many years ago. Um, based, it was once based out of Savannah, Georgia, and Stephen Frank was our photography um, head of photography and our photo editor. Um, he also did writing for the magazine. He has done numerous different jobs for clients such as Rolex, uh, Victoria's Secret, uh, Canon, um, but I'm so grateful to have you here on the podcast today, Stephen. Well, thank you, Nancy. I'm thrilled to join you. Great. Well, Stephen, um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit more um, to the audience about how you started um, such a successful career in business in underwater photography and how well, you got think- into it. Yeah, I think uh, everything we do is is uh, just being open to a fork in the road, and and I think my fork in the road happened um, when I went to graduate school. It probably goes that far back. I was uh, I had a class in experimental uh, psychology that was meant to be my master's degree, and every day when I went to school in Long Beach, California, I'd go by this little marina, and they had a place called Scuba Duba, and what Scuba Duba did was to clean yacht holes. So I needed a part-time job. I went in and uh, asked for a job and they said, well, yeah, we'll hire you, but you have to be certified as a scuba diver. Oh. And I thought, okay, that's cool. I was a competitive swimmer growing up. So yeah, I, I'd, I'd like to give that a try. So I got certified as a scuba diver, but it was kind of coincident that at about that same time, I was pretty certain I didn't want to do anything with experimental psychology. And I was working on my thesis. I'd, finished up my coursework, and I, I just wanted to take some classes for fun, something totally different. And I took a photography class, it was black and white. So it was being in the dark room and seeing the, the image come up in a tray of Dectol. It was all very, you know, the alchemy, I think, was very inspirational to me. So the photography hook happened, um, the psychology unhappened, um, diving kind of began, and it didn't occur to me that underwater photography would ever be anything that I did, but the, the, like the three legs of the tripod, you know, the, yes, the, the photography and, and then the travel kind of, kind of happened at that late day, you know, graduate school time. Wow. That's, it's so interesting to see, you know, how people's art inspirations or how they got into it. But uh, one of the things I find fascinating is that you've built it into such a, a business um, that has so many different components to it. I mean, you're also a magazine publisher on top of all of this. Um, and you have, I've seen that, you know, you teach underwater photography, you do your stock photography as well, and then you do your writing, and then you do commissioned works for commercial clients. Um, how did that grow? Because from starting with the, you know, you know, getting certified and you know, how did you build all those different components? Well, again, one thing leads to another. And, and I think the thing, I came to the Florida Keys on holiday in 1978, actually. Um, I'd sort of dropped out of diving by that time. And I was living in the mountains outside of Denver and going into town. And, and I was a custom color printer. I did that oh. for three years. Okay. And, but a buddy of mine from the swim team growing up in Illinois, he was diving with me in Hawaii for a while. And then he went to the Florida Keys to be a, a treasure hunter. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were still people trying to find 
silver from the 1733 hurricane, uh, the ships that, you know, the Spanish galleons that ran aground. So he was here. I came down on holiday and met the people that, that he dived with. And on my way back to Colorado, I was just leaving town, and I asked the, the guy at the dive shop, who owned the dive shop, I, I said, uh, you know, I think a guy could make a living here with underwater photography, not taking pictures, but processing uh -huh. fixed film and, uh -huh. and renting cameras. And if, if you'd be willing to rent me a little bit of space, I'll leave Colorado and I'll come back to the Keys and give it a try. And so he did. He rented me 200 square feet in a dive shop. Um, I had a camera. Uh, I brought a, a darkroom sink in the back of my truck from Colorado that my, my lab was throwing out. So I drove into Key Largo in 1978 with a darkroom sink and a Nikonis II and uh, <laughs> began renting cameras and processing E6 film. Actually, the the other parts, you know, that yeah. that's that's nothing that would have lasted very long because uh -huh. clearly the, the digital revolution was somewhere in our future. But um, I started to, to get assignments from the magazines of the day, mostly because I was there, you know, they, uh -huh. they would drive down the highway and they'd see there was this kid that was specializing in underwater photography. So if they needed something in the keys, sometimes they would call me and and actually, the first assignment I did was for a magazine. It was called Sport Diver. It's not the same Sport Diver we've, we've known later, but it was okay. um, it was based in Miami, and they they needed something from the Florida Keys. They got blown out with the weather, mm. so they sent me to the, to Marathon to, to okay. do this article. And uh, I'd never shot wide angle. I, I'd never worked with a model, but I knew that that that's what they needed. So. Okay. I borrowed a camera and uh, borrowed a model, and we uh -huh. went to the marathon and shot it. And I gave it to the, to the magazine, took it up there, and they said, "Well, man, this is very cool. Why don't you uh, you go to Cayman for us next week?" Wow, that was the start of it. Oh wow, that's amazing. I mean, you were extremely um, a hardworking photographer, and then you're extremely such a humble person about because you are very prolific in the you know, underwater photography, and it's just amazing how you've developed your successful business. Um, I was wondering, how do you manage all of that between all the different aspects of your business? Um, do you have, like, hired help? Do you take interns, or how do you, how, how do you go about doing your day, getting that all done? I've had staff for, for many years, and uh, my wife, who you remember, Barbara, yes. she was my, my partner and my underwater model for many years. And um, so she helped out. I have people in the stock photography business, people in the dive travel business. Not not a big, but your people, your yeah. students yes. probably need to know as they enter their career is that you need to be nimble because none of the, none of the businesses you spoke of have yes. been the same all these years. For example, uh -huh. there was a period of time when stock photography was very good, and it was like the core of my business. Okay. And then it wasn't. You know, stock photography is not a great business today. But it was a good complement to my editorial business back in the day, back when when you knew me and I was traveling for Scuba Diving Magazine, because right. I would I would go on assignment, but the thing that really justified the travel for me was that I was getting these stock photographs that I uh -huh. would then share with my agents and so there was this um, this ongoing annuity that, that came from travel that was um, basically funded on assignment so so that made sense and then there was a period of time where uh, 
I began importing housings from Austria, the Seacam housings. Oh. And uh, so we did that. We built that business in, in the United States. And but but as you know, there's an ebb and flow to every business. So uh -huh. like when doc photography started to get bad, my travel business got to be very good because oh. it long enough so that I could I could do this uh, annual digital masterclass that I do. Yes. And you know, so the and, and like on Friday, for example, I'll, uh -huh. I'll be uh, off to French Polynesia with a boat that I've chartered and, you know, 22 people that are traveling with me to, to go dive the Tuamotu. So two or three times a year, I'll, I'll do one of these photo expeditions with guests. Mm -hmm. Once a year, I'll do a class. I still I still uh, do the stock photography, although I can't say I take it all that serious anymore because the okay. license fees are so low. But, oh. Uh, you know, the CCAM business, actually publishing, as you mentioned, is probably yeah. the biggest part of what I do right now. Uh, I publish Alert Diver magazine. Um, and you will have remembered it from the old days. It was a very uh, basic publication, just mm -hmm. saddle stitch, hardly more than a newsletter. But uh, they, they, they had a, a big circulation. They sent them to their 250,000 band members. And oh, wow. These are, yeah, these are people that actually buy scuba diving insurance so mm -hmm. you know it's a it's a good demographic for any advertiser mm -hmm. and i was sitting on the board of directors of, of dan organization and you know we're learning more about alert diver and i said you know you're really underserving uh your members because uh -huh. you know what if what if instead of six times a year what if we did this beautiful quarterly magazine and really gave them a high value publication and then maybe if it was a high value publication where you have no advertisers now, perhaps we'll get some advertisers and you know, we can, we can make something that's, that's uh, kind of altruistic for the whole dive industry. We can educate, communicate, inspire, and do it in a way that, that is aesthetically pleasing and also, you know, kind of the state of the printer's art. So, mm -hmm. we, you know, we use really good paper and soy inks and do it in a very sustainable fashion. So, Dan uh, allowed me to to step off the board and become publisher of this wow. new magazine. That's been ten years now, Nancy. Wow, I can't believe that because it just seems like yesterday. And the the quality of the magazine, the photography is it's gorgeous. And then I see you doing your press checks, um, and it just yeah, it's it's a beautiful publication. Um, and you had. Um, Okay. I know that you are active on your social media, on Instagram, and I was kind of curious with my next question about, is that aspect, because is that a very important part of promoting, I guess, your work nowadays for underwater photography or photography in general? But it, it certainly is for photography in general. I don't, I don't know if it's, if it's that important to me because I managed to stay busy doing other things, but, sure. but I do know that... Um, that like a young photographer, an emerging photographer, it's it's super important to. For example, I know that uh, when Canon is is looking to photographers that that are meaningful in their marketing efforts, one of the first things they ask is how many Instagram followers do you have. So oh. that has become a metric of success um, for emerging talent. Yeah, I, I think they have to stay engaged in Instagram. They have to they have to play that game, and you know. Perhaps they'll love it and, and want to pursue it. I, to me, it, 
I don't know. It's it's incidental. I don't mm -hmm. post every day, um, sure. and I don't post personal things typically. Yeah. But I do I do post uh, business related things if we're if we're true. Yes. Uh, well, you've also built a reputation. You know, I think because of who you are and your years in the dive industry and being a exceptional photographer, I think you know that carries a lot of weight. So people want to, if they're going to spend the money to uh, improve their craft as a photographer underwater photography, they're going to go to somebody who's experienced and knowledgeable in that area. So, um, I also wanted to... Even, even, yeah. even beyond the, the photography part, yeah. part, which I appreciate you saying, and it's, it's certainly important, but there's also, um, you know, the decades of, of being a traveling photojournalist, mm -hmm. knowing, knowing the seasons, knowing the best places for the best subjects, you know, where mm -hmm. to go for whale sharks, where to go for white sharks, who to what boat to charter, you know how to how to best present the photo opportunities, and I, I think quite often in our in our travel offerings, that's what people are trusting me to do is to um, to do the homework to get them the best boat, and then once we're on the boat, mm -hmm. to interface with the with, you know with the captain and crew to assure that that my guests get the the best yeah. possible um, dive experience and photo opportunity, you know because in the end it. These are photo tourists. Oh, okay. It doesn't matter how good a shooter you are if you, you know, if the boat doesn't put you in the right place at the right time, yeah. you know, come home with a shot. Well, great. Those are those are interesting points, especially with you know your industry. Um, I was wondering because I had seen on Facebook that you posted um, some work that you'd done collaboratively um, for a campaign for Rolex, I believe, and you had a model, and you'd mentioned that you know. You you know you have models you know divers that are in your um, shoots. How how is that working with a uh, model who's underwater? And then also when you tag team on collaborative projects with other photographers, how, you know are there pros and cons to working like that? Well, first of all, the one that you're talking about uh, yes. involved a, a very skilled photographer named Russell James who shoots a, a lot of stuff for Victoria's Secret now and. Because of his his work with Victoria's Secret, he's become very close friends actually with with a lot of uh, really significant you know high profile models. And so on that particular project for Rolex, we we brought a, a different supermodel in each day for like seven days. And you know we did it in Nassau where people you know you could bring them in from London or LA or New York, oh. and you know we pick them up at the airport and then he would shoot them in a, a studio with a wind machine. And, wow. and then we would assume, or, you know, he, he would try to make it look like the person with a flowing gown might be underwater, of course, with a Rolex on the wrist. And then I would shoot these plates for the background. So it would be a sea pan or a soft coral, something that we're, we could envision the right distance and light so that it make it look like the person was actually in the water in front of these, these backgrounds. So, so that was, it was cool because he understood enough mm -hmm. about underwater photography to understand how these girls ought to look in the water. Okay. And I understood enough about his studio photography to realize the kind of space that we had to put between the model in the foreground and the sea pan in the background. So that was a, a, a very interesting uh, collaborative project. And, and I've worked with him on other things too, on Victoria's Secret mm -hmm. Swim things where I would only be there like like I'd be the specialty hitter, you know. I'd, I'd mm -hmm. be shooting over unders or something like that. I wouldn't I would never be there for 
for the mainstream kind of stuff because mm -hmm. that's what he did. Oh, sure. But, you know, I, I would be there for certain things that, you know, was in my wheelhouse more than his. So that's when it works really well. The times when it doesn't work is, is when, like if you're in the water with, you're shooting stills and they've got a video photographer, there's really mm -hmm. only one sweet spot oh. with a model because okay. you have to get the eye contact and water is 800 times more dense than air. So you have to be in a particular place to, to get the right shot to light it. And then of course, when my flashes go off, then that's disruptive to their video. So. Oh. I've done things with um, National Geographic TV, for example, where they wanted the, the, the video person and the still person in the same shoot at the same time. Oh. And, and number one, it doesn't work well, and it especially doesn't work well when when it's primarily a video shoot and I have to try to sneak my shots in. And, uh, you know, mm -hmm. I, I just prefer not to do that. You can't do good work without the full attention of the model. So. Oh. It's happened to me a few times. I learned my lesson and I just don't do it anymore. I, I don't mind being on a shoot with a videographer, but they need to get their shots and then I of need course. to get my shots. We, it's, we can't do it at the same time. That's true. Um, that is it, very insightful. Now, um, I didn't originally list this in my questions, but kind of, I was wondering, do you have a preference between your, like, doing commercial assignments, like commercial photography for clients versus doing the editorial photography? Do you like have a, do you personally have a preference on which ones do you feel like ones maybe a little bit more, I mean, I didn't know creatively fulfilling or is it, um, I'm just curious how that for you personally. Well, commercial pays a lot better. I guarantee you that. But yeah. uh, aside from that, I, I don't know. I do like that, that collaborative thing with the, uh, you know, big, uh, craft services table and you know 18 or 20 people mm -hmm. doing hair and makeup and you know those big shoots that we've we've done um it's fun uh -huh. uh, but on the other hand i kind of like just a run and gun kind of editorial project where I, I don't have all of those people and all of those uh i don't know it's it's your own day it's your own yeah. time you know, you can shoot your own things, and, and particularly in the stock photography business, the the commercial things didn't yeah. often didn't work because you know if I'm you know if I'm shooting one of these supermodels, I'm not going to get yeah. the model release. Um, you know, they're going to Victoria's Secret or somebody will have a model release, but it won't be me. Mm -hmm. So I I could never uh, syndicate those images there. Mm -hmm. So the editorial stuff was always better for me when I was work you know heavy into stock photography. I could get model releases like like okay so two yeah. weeks ago i did a project for the florida keys uh -huh. my hometown but this was for the agency uh -huh. they wanted uh, a wreck and a reef in each of the five districts there are five <laughs> geographic distance di districts so you have key largo alamarada marathon lower keys and key west uh -huh. and so they wanted me to hire a male and a female model oh, destinations but they had to be different people oh. because you know they they wanted each destination to have its own identity okay so you know it's one thing to to have a skilled model that you've worked with for years and years who you know it's all almost like remote control they know exactly oh. where they ought to look they okay. don't know for example that if they swim under this overhang their air bubbles are going to knock down uh, detritus and I'm going to have backscatter in my oh. photograph you know, these are the unspoken things Sure. that happened between a photographer and a skilled model. But if you've got 
10 people on five dives uh, in five days, uh, you know, it, it, it's uh, a lot to make them learn what, what you expect yeah. from an underwater model with only, you know, 10 minutes before you jump okay. in the water to educate them. So gotcha. those, those are hard. Um, some, some of the models were better than the, than others, but mm -hmm. and none of them were as good as the, the girls that I've worked with um, for years and years. Mm -hmm. But um, I think if you get somebody with good water skills, you can make yeah. them a good underwater model. You can also get a, a, a beautiful person, male or female, uh, who looks wonderful topside. And if they don't have good water skills, yeah. goes. I mean, I've had that plenty of times too, where where models lie about their their in water abilities, and they get hired mm. by the agency, and they show up on location, and you know they, they can't open their eyes underwater, okay. they don't know how to clear their face mask, you know, any any number of basic water skills they simply can't do. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, that's informative. And I was wondering, I had a student in my. Um, class that I was teaching for um, a night school at the local university and they were underwater photographer. Do you have any like tips for beginning underwater photographers? I mean, as far as when you're, I guess, trying to frame those shots and you're doing just like sea life, maybe not a model, but you know, you're doing a reef um, or a wreck. Like, is there any tip wise that maybe that would be helpful? Well, as you gain experience in underwater photography, there's this you know, the mind's eye is the thing that that I always go back to. Um, you know, the ability to pre-visualize a, a photograph. So you're swimming along, and you'll let's see, you'll see a coral grouper sitting in soft coral, and you think, well, I know how to light this, but in order to to get the photograph that I want in my mind's eye, mm -hmm. the lens that I have, I know that I have to be two feet away. Gotcha. I know that I have to have my both my strobes set on half power. And I know that I have to be at F11 at ISO 320. I know all these things um, yes. theoretically. Yes. But now it's it's my job to to understand the the technical aspects enough to to what I call shrink the water column to get close enough to to be able to um, make the image sharp because, uh -huh. like I said, water is 800 times more dense than air. So unless you're close, you're not going to have good color and you're not going to have good resolution. Mm -hmm. So you have to, you have to see it in your imagination. You have to have the dive skills that allow you to get close enough. I think there's a, a little Zen thing in there too, that, you know, the fish has to believe that you're not there to eat them. Mm -hmm. You're going to let them, it's going to let you get in close and you, and you need to execute. You need to have taken enough bad photographs in your life to understand, you know, how to try to avoid backscatter, um, how to avoid casting the wrong kind of shadow in the wrong place. You know, there's all these things that that come to you instinctively as, as you approach the, the subject. Uh -huh. uh, and then, um, I don't know, with, with experience, um, I, I think it becomes certainly more automatic and the number of keepers massively increases. That's great. I tell my students that I teach photography, it's like, it's so much better if you just take a better quality photo than, because some people think, well, I'll just fix it in Photoshop and, or Lightroom. And I'm like, well, that's very, can be very time consuming. Or there's some things that are just 
not gonna look good if you try to photoshop it and it's just better if you have a better composed photo or you have better lighting in the first place and then maybe you minimally need to tweak it if you're you know it just that's what i found that sometimes they think well the software will do all of it and i'm like no it really comes uh, earlier in fact, the software will overdo a lot of it I, I see a lot of you know the you know the color selection tool uh -huh. uh, it's, it's so easy for so many to to find let, let's say you're shooting a, a humpback whale and they have a white fluke but they they were shooting at available light so there's no real color there so uh -huh. you see the click the, the the color picker on on the white thinking uh -huh. that's going to solve everything yeah and then you see the water column go massively red and you know at a glance exactly what the person did okay um, yeah that's there's so many uh, rudimentary tricks that people do with underwater photography that that are ridiculous and and, and they're obvious at a glance really it's just and it, it's like you say nancy it's yeah. um, if you shot it right the first time you wouldn't have to do that Yes, and I was wondering um, for my students who are, because I ended up teaching them in my photography for the night class for adults, I taught them Lightroom, and then we got a little bit into Photoshop. Are those still relevant programs as far as for professional photographers? Oh, man, yeah. You, you almost can't get, get along without it. I, I work with um, what I call a, my tripod workflow. So because I shoot a lot um, and I want to get through my images very quickly, I start out with Photo Mechanic. Uh, to, to edit everything I shot that day because it, it works with the embedded JPEGs and it's super fast. Mm -hmm. So I, I do my first edit on, on Photo Mechanic. So 100% of what I shoot, I see with Photo Mechanic. And then the next place, uh -huh. if I have to process it for whatever editorial or, or for my stock photography, the next place I visit it is in Lightroom okay. because it is a very quick and ergonomic program with its sliders and, and the, you know, the little pull down menus that let you do so many different color and density and, and uh, contrast fixes quickly. So if hundred percent go into photo mechanic, maybe 40% yeah. go into Lightroom. Okay. And then there's probably another 5% that okay. I'd have to visit in Photoshop. And of course, okay. all these programs are linked. So that when I leave Lightroom, it goes directly to Photoshop. And for example, the cloning tools are much better in, in Photoshop. So if there is, there's backscatter, mm. a lot of backscatter, it's much faster in Photoshop. And there are tools uh, available in Photoshop that are not in Lightroom, Content-Aware, Content-Aware Crop. Okay. Uh, all of those are tools that are specific to Photoshop um, and, and reason enough to go to that program. But I, there, there aren't that many images really that I have to... Mm -hmm. I have to visit in, in Photoshop, although this keys shoot that I just did, the things that I, I sent to the agency, mm -hmm. uh, you know, almost all of, well, actually, probably everyone I turned in went through each of these because well, I had to do the, the first edit in Photo Mechanic, and mm -hmm. then I had to prepare it, decide which ones I was going to prepare in Lightroom. I, you know, I could, I could see the you know, the 100% view really quickly. I could tell if they were sharp and what the histogram looked like. And if, if, I, if minor color adjustments would get me where I wanted. But then, you know, I, I couldn't turn any of them in with, with even a little bit of backscatter. So oh. every one of them had to go into Photoshop for okay. that final tweak. Oh, wow.
So um, this is a question I ask all the artists that I have on my interview, and I had to omit camera because I've learned from past interviews when you interview a photographer, they're like the most indispensable tool in my studio is my camera. So besides your camera, what's something that you are constantly using for your photography? I don't know. Uh, certainly the software we've, we've discussed. Yes. Uh, housing, you know, I think oh. the housing for me is, is the biggest thing because I, I do use these CCM housings that are built in Austria because I think okay. they're the, you know, they're the best and most ergonomic and, and when you get out in, in the field where we go, we go yes. to very remote locations. So I need something that's, that's very robust, but also mm -hmm. if something, you know, if something goes wrong, sure. uh, I can usually fix it. It's, it's. You know, it doesn't have a lot of electronic parts that are mechanical. And um, we, we have to carry enough redundant gear so that we can be self-sufficient mm -hmm. in the field. But it, it also helps if you don't have to carry a bunch of housings because okay. on the break. So, yeah, I like, I like those underwater housings to, to be extensions of, of my hands, of my eyes. That's, a, you know, they have really, really nice, powerful enlarged viewfinders so oh. that's the other thing if you can't okay. see what you're shooting that's a yeah. big problem gotcha i don't want to i don't want to have to guess at my composition or my focus i, I want to be able to see it gotcha that makes sense so um i was curious for my students also um this is probably more for my current high school students um because i kind of tell them it's very important to have a certain professionalism in any in art industry um and there, a lot of them are very interested in photography. How important are those, what they call soft skills and like networking and being able to communicate with people? How important are those things nowadays? Very important. Um, and, and I see it more being on the other end now, being a publisher. And if, if somebody misses deadline, to me, it's, you know, don't, don't call me again. Okay. Um, because there are so many, so many parts of, of this moving machine that mm -hmm. depend on every individual hitting their deadline. So if the photographer, you know, is indifferent to their deadlines and I don't get their stuff for a month, then, then it's a, a panic for the editors, it's a panic for the art director, it's a panic for pre-press, and uh, I don't need the aggravation. You sure. know? So I think any, any photographer needs to know um, their talents are not indispensable. So you ought to make it easy on your client and making it easy on your client is being professional. Mm -hmm. Do what, do what you're going to do, do it in a timely fashion, do it well, um, have good business skills, um, invoice on time as you were expected. Um, for me as a photojournalist, I, mm -hmm. I think I didn't really want to be a writer, okay. but I had to be a writer. Nobody wanted my photographs about the ability to, to do words and the, if my editor asked for 2,500 words, mm -hmm. I learned not to give them 3,500 because it's a pain in the butt. Mm -hmm. you know, nobody wants to be responsible for your irresponsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Well, those are all really great points. And I try to drive that home to my students just because I think it makes you stand out. I think in the crowd of people, if you're, you're humble, you're a good person, you know, you're just you you do what is expected or you know that you are reliable that that goes a long way because in people's memories they remember those 
bad moments and they remember like, ooh, that person was not reliable, was not professional. Um, and those go a long way in your client's memories. But the ones that are pleasant, they definitely want to rework with them again. And, and that's just what I've experienced um, it professionally. It's true. It's absolutely true. I mean, nobody, nobody has the time to, to deal with uh, the prima donna, really. Mm -hmm. That's true. So my last question, it's one of those deep questions. So at the end of your life, you have photographed everything that you wanted to. And if you could only leave behind a note with three final truths, what would they be? Okay, well, the first truth uh, occurred to me when when I would go up to Carysport Reef, which was in the north end of Key Largo, and it was a long boat ride, so I didn't get up there that much, but there was this, these big fields of elkhorn and staghorn, just so inspirational, mm -hmm. and uh, I would think, well, next time i got to bring a wide-angle lens because I want to photograph those things, and next time I didn't for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And then one time I went up there to take them, and uh, it was all, they were all gone. Disease and storms and... Oh. Yeah, it just never occurred to me that oh. the, corals, the corals weren't forever. Uh -huh. It took me a while to learn that, how, okay. how fragile the, the ocean is right now. So for anybody with, you know, with, with a sense, actually for any, anybody that cares about the planet, I think yeah. you have to understand that whole shifting baselines thing where what you're seeing now for the first time yeah. was probably a lot better for other oh. people. Uh, you know, you can't spend your life moaning about what's come and gone, but appreciate what's there. Uh, but also don't be, don't be indifferent to, mm -hmm. to work in it now. Mm -hmm. That's, I, I didn't get those elkhorns. I didn't get those staghorns. Yeah and uh, they'll never come back. So wow. appreciate the here now. Okay. That's number one. Now you want a number two, huh? Yeah. Well, I don't think, I, I think we, we alluded to that, um, don't lie, don't cheat kind of yeah. thing. I think you have to, to have a work ethic and be honorable. Um, I, think, I think that's very important. And the other thing, you have to be very careful about uh, the management of what are now digital assets, oh. uh, what in the old days were, were physical assets, because, you know, those two could be gone. Oh. Uh, you know, I, I, I worry sometimes about the kids that don't have backups of backups of backups. Oh. And, uh, you know, I have redundant hard drives in multiple places because yeah. you're saying, what do you want to think back on the end of your life? Well, yeah. now at the end of my life, I, maybe I've got 60 years photographing the world's oceans. That's wow. uh, that's an archive of things that other people aren't going to have, and I want yeah. I want my slides to have been sure. protected in a in a safe, air-conditioned environment. I want you know four or five redundant archives in different places so that so that every, I have backups and backups and backups, and uh, I don't know. Nobody cares about it after I'm gone. Yeah. So, so be it, but at least I gave them the option. Well, thank you. Those are really wonderful, insightful answers. And I greatly appreciate you being on this podcast, Stephen. And I just feel very blessed that I, I, I always look back at my time at scuba diving. It was 
a wonderful group of people that I got to work with. Some of my still message, I still message Susan Smith. I still talk to Rhonda Messick and Patricia Wiest. I will still message them on Facebook, even though they've gone off to different places and different things. But and uh, even some of the sales staff, um, just and uh, just wonderful people and just a, a wonderful industry to have gotten a glimpse of at my time there as a advertising designer. But thank you so much, Stephen. And I know my students will learn a lot from listening to this. All right, Nancy, thanks so much for thinking of me. It's great to talk to you again. All right, thank you everybody to listen for listening to My Creative Life.